Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Right, well, what a phenomenal uh, start to today. How am I going to follow that? Bass it high. Um, so I'm in the, in the interest of time, I'm going to try not to be too long. I know I say this every week that I speak, uh, and you're probably bored of hearing that, and you probably roll your eyes, but genuinely, uh, I'm going to try and be fairly quick. Um, so first of all, I want to just um, preface the sermon by saying this is coming from a place um, kind of at that intersection still of uh, theology and, and mental health. Um, like, what do we mean when we talk about God and how does that impact our mental health? And, and one thing that I've become super aware of is that as a community, um, like those quiet things that creep up on us and we only kind of recognise them in review, we have become uh, incredibly brave at talking about mental health. I don't know if you're in other arenas of life where actually mental health still has a taboo. We don't, we don't like to admit... Uh, they're not failures, but we feel like failures um, in the eyes of other people. And so we're reluctant to say, these things are breaking me. These things are causing me to fracture. These uh, things are uh, causing me anxiety. But in, in a strange way, and hear me right, like it's been a real blessing to actually hear each of us talking about the things that actually make us feel vulnerable. Um, and I think that's a rare thing. And as a community... I think it's a beautiful thing because actually that, that is the building blocks of being a real community and not just a social club that occurs on a Sunday morning where we all rock up to the same building. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a real precious journey. And so I kind of, that's in the background. It might not be particularly overt, but just this intersection of theology and mental health. And I have to admit that the, the shape of the sermon, if I can use that sort of phrase, uh, it feels a bit weird for me. Um, this is a sort of message that I would not have listened to a year ago. I'd have gone away thinking that's nothing new. I wouldn't have taken anything from it. I'd probably been a bit bored by it. Uh, but actually now, after being a Christian for a quarter of a century, which makes me feel tremendously old to say that, this is actually something that I'm only just beginning to discover, um, the importance of this. And we say lots of trite things in the name of faith, uh, in the name of appearing uh, to have it all together. Um, but actually now I'm discovering the real, real weightiness uh, to these things. So I'm going to talk today about, obviously we're, we're continuing this theme around the table, and I'm going to talk about what sustains our love. Okay, so we're going to start on this kind of meta-epic level, and then we're going to drill right into the day-to-day practices. So, of course, I have to start with something epic. If you're going to talk about epic, is that going to work? Oh, come on.
Okay, um, so everybody, even Luke, will recognise <laughs> those themes as being from Star Wars. And you'd probably also recognise that it was very disjointed, because actually it wasn't an entire piece of music. It was um, three different let motifs, they're called, three different themes. Uh, one was the hero theme, or Luke's theme. That's the famous one from Star Wars. Da, 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 da. The second one was the Rebels theme, da, 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 da. not the Imperial March theme. And the third one was the Force theme, okay? And these are called late motifs in classical music. These, these are reoccurring riffs, reoccurring motifs that appear throughout, in, in this case, a film score that, that signals that something is going on with that character or that group. And, it, and what it does is it brings you uh, into almost a subconscious recognition that something is happening here. Um, and these motifs reoccur and reoccur. And then, of course, at the end of the film, in the finale, it takes all of these motifs and then wraps them all together in this magnificent symphony. And these uh, motifs, they occur uh, in lots of different ways. So all three of those themes were played in two different ways, um, whether you notice that or not. And they occur at different parts of the story. And the brilliant thing about these things, and, and the beauty of uh, kind of um, John Williams' score to, to Star Wars is that um, they're instantly recognisable. We know what's happening. And what happens is, is that after you've seen these films thousands of times probably, um, I remember in the mid-80s, early to mid-80s, again another cue for how old I am now, we recorded it off the TV on a VHS tape at Christmas time, and I would just be—I was fascinated by these things. And over the years, I've kind of started to learn about like kind of music theory and, and, and things like that. So I can kind of connect the dots now. But it's amazing how um, it triggers you in the best way when you're watching a film, whether it be Star Wars or Harry Potter, again a John Williams score. Um, the, you know, any of these films, you kind of queued up because you anticipate the ending in the action now. Mm. How the let motifs work is that they um, foreshadow the final end. Mm. And then when you get to that final end, a great score kind of wraps all of these different things back together again and puts them together as they should be heard in a great score. And that's what I want to talk about with the table, how the final end is hinted at, is nodded to in the let motifs of our lives right now. How how in the Bible even we see this. Um, I can't remember what my next slide is. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So in the final end, it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. I think I've got this scripture. Yeah, here we go. So Revelation 19, 7 and 9. This is the culmination of all things. And hopefully we recognise that this is figurative language. I'm not sure if there's going to be a literal wedding supper of the Lamb. But this is figurative language of the, the wrapping up of all things, the, the heroic finale, the glorious end. Uh, we call it like the eschatological uh, summation of everything. It says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then if we roll back right into the Old Testament, we're going to go to Isaiah. It's amazing. Let's just look at the language here. So this final end is hinted at. There's a let motif 
already playing. There's a wedding supper of the Lamb theme that's playing right back in Isaiah. And it says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines. Catch the language here, what it's referring to. Of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained and clear. I love the repetition, the emphasis on the food and the wine. And if we didn't quite get it, there's food and wine. <laughs> And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. What a beautiful theme that again replays and replays and replays in the New Testament right up until the very end of all things, Revelation. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. Again, we recognise that from Revelation. And the disgrace of his people, he will take away from all of the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God, and we have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So you can already hear, if this was a Star Wars film, we'd be hearing the hero theme. As Isaiah proclaimed this, we'd hear it. And the amazing thing is, is that it all circulates around Jesus. Jesus is the core of that theme. It is the Jesus theme. If we bought the soundtrack on a CD, again showing how old I am, there'd be a line saying the Jesus theme. And this is what would play in Isaiah 25. The Jesus theme is what would play in Revelation 19. The Bible is filled with these themes that find their final resolution in Jesus. <coughs> Jesus incarnated these things Jesus enacted these things and the beautiful thing is is what it does is it drags the story forward from the past so it drags forward you know so when Luke is first discovered in Star Wars and then the hero theme gently comes in you're anticipating what's going to happen so it pulls the story forwards to the resolution and it also every time Luke you know he discovers a lightsaber and it pulls that final end into the into the moment that he's in so the effect of these themes is it, it enables Jesus to drag from a rich history behind him and it enables him to reach forward and pull forth the glorious end into the now. So when we come, and this was supposed to be my text, um, John 2, yeah, brilliant. Um, John 2, so the wedding at Cana, this wasn't just an arbitrary, Jesus rocked up one day to a wedding and he was kind of taken off guard. Instead, John, right here, in beautiful writing, is drawing upon a tremendous number of themes. Actually, like if we were watching a film, maybe not The Passion, because that's a bit grisly, but if we were watching a film of Jesus' ministry, we would hear a John Williams soundtrack that played multiple layers of themes at this point. It'd have the Jesus theme, it'd have the wine theme, but it'd have the third day theme, it'd have the resurrection theme. It would have the conquering of death theme going on. Because John cues it up beautifully on the third day and immediately our Bible nerd dashboard would be lighting up saying something is going on here to do with resurrection, to do with overcoming death and the bringing forth of new creation. On the third day and wedding, oh my goodness, wedding. The wedding theme would be chiming because what happens at weddings? It's the joining, it's the coming of a new thing. So we even think back to the patriarchs. Isaac finding his wife. You know, Jacob finding his wife. These are, these are pivotal moments in the story that occur. So as soon as we see the word wedding, something new is breaking forth in the gospel. And then it goes on, there's no wine. Well, wine, that's another big theme in, in the prophets. You know, if there's no wine, it's because, man, they've done something wrong. They've fallen far. They've gone off track. Something is going wrong. But then the beautiful thing is, is that there's new wine. And again... Our nerd dashboard, the theme, the soundtrack, the motif that's coming through. 
we'd be like, wow, something's about to happen because Jesus is about to bring new wine, refreshing, better wine. He's taking of the old and making it better. He's restoring it to what it should rightly have been. And then there's the, my hour is not come. And that's where the sorrowful cross theme comes in. Because that's his hour. The enthronement on the cross. And so what we find in this rich, short 11 verses, we'd have a multitude of musical themes that we know will finally resolve that will finally resolve. And Jesus, in his own self, is dragging the story forward, back from the prophets in the Old Testament, back from even the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's dragging the story forwards, but he's also reaching into that glorious eternity and bringing it into the now. And what we'd hear if we were watching this film, we'd hear this glorious soundtrack rife with beautiful, beautiful themes. In every act, that he did in drawing people to himself in being the broken bread in being the wine poured out he was enacting something from the past he was dragging the story forward but he was also taking of eternity and bringing it into the now and the way jesus describes that is behold the kingdom is here the kingdom is here right now can you see it maybe not but can you hear the strains of the music that hint towards that final end if you are paying attention you can and the beautiful thing is and i'm not sure if this is a slide we have this ministry right here right now that's what we've been twisted to one of the things that i've noticed about the table uh, series is kind of all revolved around this 2 corinthians 5 thing this ministry of reconciliation jesus reconciled man to god not god to man you know steve has been so careful to point out but it also says that we are compelled by that same love we have been given this ministry we are now the ambassadors so when we act we start to hear the soundtrack these glorious themes the jesus theme when we act in a way that includes other people we drag upon the story that's already happened the story that's already gone before us and we are partaking of the eternity and dragging it into now we are now agents incarnating that kingdom and if we pay careful attention we can hear nods and hints and resonances with that hero theme of jesus christ see i don't have it in the monologue i'm in a soundtrack <laughs> only when we keep our eyes fixed on him this is something that steve uh, has kind of emphasized sometimes he circles back to that kind of hebrews message of keeping our eyes fixed upon jesus the author and perfecter of our faith it's only by keeping our eyes fixed on him that we can run this race with the endurance that is required it's only when we keep our eyes fixed on him that we can hear the strains and sounds maybe just a light touch maybe it's not the bombastic with the timpani and the big horn section maybe it's just the flute playing the theme as we act maybe it's just a solo violin that plays the, the notes of the theme when we're acting but it is part of that theme but only when we keep our eyes fixed on jesus uh, next slide I should get better at this presentation malarkey steve set the bar hasn't he it's like that we have to have a presentation now but the problem is is that we grow weary and this is where kind of our mental health journey our, our emotional depth uh, comes into this story because um drawing upon the kind of the narratives around the feeding of the five thousand and the feeding of the four thousand 
See, the thing is, the disciples were afraid in those moments that we have to supply for everybody that's coming to draw upon us. And we the ones that have to provide for the great need that we are confronted with right now. Because Jesus, I'm telling you now, it ain't happening. We need to send these people away. We need to get distance from the people who are drawing upon us right now. Because that's how the disciples felt in those moments. Imagine Jesus just turning around. Right, we're going to provide catering services for this conference. But Jesus, we, we're not prepared. How are we going to do that? We haven't got the money. Like, so they're going through their heads. All of the resources that they have at their disposal, all of the ways that they could manage the situation in their own goodwill. They get the gig. We're following Jesus. It's selflessness. It's about denying self. It's about following him. It's about taking up our crosses. We get that, Jesus. So we're about to do that. We're about to pour ourselves out, but we haven't got enough to go around. And sometimes we get to that point, don't we? Like, I know I do. I grow weary, and I know when I grow weary because I'm tired, I'm irritable, I'm cranky, I'm short-tempered, I often misunderstand what's being communicated to me, or actually, I just don't want to hear. I've had enough. It's done my head in, I'm going. Okay, we get to that point because we are constantly drawing upon our own goodwill. Um, Brother Lawrence, in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, has this wonderful phrase. He says that, sometimes our goodwill carries us faster than grace because the problem in this room for this community is not that we need to be motivated to go and do good works the problem in this room is that we are so well-intentioned that we are so primed and so enthusiastic and so compassionate that we will always be about doing good works any need that we are faced with, we will seek to meet that need. We will seek to give bread to the 5,000. But the problem is, is in our own strength, we cannot do it. We will get maybe 10, 12 people. But the great news is, is that we don't have to draw upon our own goodwill, our own good intentions, our own self-motivation, our own reserves of compassion because we will find pretty soon that that well goes dry not because we are mean-spirited but because we are finite because we are human beings and we could talk about it on on the huge scale um, of you know oh let's start a charity and let's like meet this entire need of a city or we could talk about it on the really really day-to-day -day mundane scale of being parents of going to work of interacting with other human beings at 7pm when you've had a really, pardon my French, crappy day. We know that the well goes dry, but the beautiful thing is that, is that Jesus feeds the 5,000. But he doesn't do it without us. He invites us to participate. We just have to be in that place. But we have to recognise that it is Jesus that feeds the 5,000, not ourselves. Because our goodwill, I, I think, you know, for this community, that we wouldn't have been disciples like, oh, what should we do? We need to send them away. We're like, fine, let's go do it. Yeah. Come on, Jesus, just give me a scrap of bread. I'll multiply it. But Jesus, no, no, I'm going to do the multiplication. I'll, deal, I'll handle the amount, the quantity, the depth, but just participate me, with me in this. 
See, the thing is, is 1 Corinthians, one of the beautiful lessons that we learn from 1 Corinthians 13 that often gets overlooked is that it's very easy, really easy for people with goodwill to do good works without the love of God. <laughs> really terribly easy to do it. And that's not a rebuke, that's not a, you're doing things wrong. Well-meaning people do well-meaning things without checking what they are drawing upon. I think there's a quote now. <laughs> I love this quote, because this is what we're like, okay? This is what we're like. Loving one person well can totally exhaust you, and I am willing to bet hands down that every person in this year will say amen to that. We know what it is to try and love at least one person well. Especially if you're fighting a heroic battle just to keep your own stuff together. We fear that if we pay the price of love, nothing will be left over. Love crashes into our fears about scarcity. Worship and prayer are practices of gratitude and joy that combat my mindset of scarcity. The practices of worship and prayer place me in a receptive posture where I receive myself. And you know, we've talked about this idea of being re-self, taking time out to spend with God just to rediscover our own self before we give everything away. And everything in my life as grace and gift. An experience of abundance displaces my reverie of lack. And as I experience gratitude, gift, grace and abundance, the fears that have crippled my love are cast out and exercised. You see, because when the well goes dry, we do. I do it all the time. And this keeps haunting me now, like every single day. I know, because I lose patience. I am grumpy. I am terrible to be around. And it's not because I'm a bad person, it's just because I am a person who gets tired. You know, so I know, say like, in my interactions with Nick, or with my interactions with my daughters even, on that, that micro scale of the epic I have to learn, not that I have to be better, because that's the same old treadmill. I do not make myself better. This is all gift. You see, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, there's a little word in there that we oftentimes miss, and it's that of, the fruits of the Spirit. I bear the fruit, I carry the fruit, I enact the fruit, but they're not my fruit. I can't force the fruit out. I think if I did strain too hard, something would be forced out. <laughs> But it's not me. The love is the gift of the Spirit. The joy is the gift of the Spirit. The peace, the patience, the self-control, the kindness, all of those things are of the Spirit. It is all grace. It is all gift. One John says it like this. We love because he loved us first. Yeah, there's another quote now. We grow weary, not because we're bad, not because we're wicked, but because we are humans. And it's, in fact, exactly the opposite. We grow weary because of our goodwill, because of our intentions. We grow weary because our good intentions and our goodwill carries us faster than the grace that goes with us, sometimes. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints, nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases in strength. 
even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, I cannot pretend that I am nice and kind all the time. I can put a facade on when I'm at church around you fine people because I don't want to let on that I can actually be a really obnoxious person. I don't want to be that vulnerable in front of you all. Sometimes some lucky few who have seen me be really obnoxious and grumpy. But you know, I still try and put on my Sunday best. I've even got my Star Wars t-shirt on today. I cannot pretend that I'm always this good, holy Christian. Look at all the books I've read, that must mean I'm incredible. I cannot sustain that. There will always be a moment, there will always be someone that I cannot love well. There'll always be somebody that rubs me up the wrong way. I will get to that point where there's someone that I could not imagine being at the wedding supper of the Lamb. There will be. I'm not nice and kind and polite all of the time. Because there's only one sort of love that can sustain that infinite patience that infinite kindness, that long-suffering. There is only one sort of love that can hope all things, believe all things, bear all things, that never fails. And that is the love of God. As much as my good will can carry me quite far, I'm primed. I've spent 25 years being a Christian. I've spent 25 years being around inspirational people. But my well will go dry. It's only if I continuously put myself in the way of God to draw upon his love, I can only love well knowing that he has loved me well first. There is only one sort of love that can sustain loving our enemies. There is only one sort of love that will ensure the sun shines on the righteous and on the unrighteous. There is only one sort of love that is perfect. And so, like I said, I think there might be someone else now. So yeah, there we go. So again, right up front, I said, I think the shape of this sermon might feel a bit awkward. Um, and again, up front, I said that this was the sort of sermon that even six months ago, I'd have been like, what is that guy on about? And I fear that that might be the case now, but that's okay, I'm amongst friends, I'm being vulnerable. Because the thing is this, is that we have certain practices, we have certain rhythms. Like we come and worship together passionately. We all give our time in prayer to God. We come with our needs. Um, we, have very, we have a genderless worship, which is beautiful. We have all of these, um, not programs, not programs. These aren't like, do this, this and this, and you'll have a magnificent life. These are practices. These are habits that we don't evolve on from. We don't do step one and then go to step two. We do them day in, day out. These practices. And this is the thing. These are the things. Like, um, I'm only just started to connect these ideas together after 25 years. 
of being a Christian, I'm only now starting to connect the dots. Even though I've probably heard a million people talk about this stuff. But what is going to sustain us doing these things? Because I force myself to love people, to get on board. I can get on board with that politician. Okay, they're family, so I have to give grace. Fine, it's half past eight and I just want to go to bed, Sarah. Do you really need that right now? Because my love ends. My niceness, the veneer that I put on for Sunday. But let everything that is done be done in love. This is Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians 16. And that's the thing. We need to relentlessly give ourselves over to God. Relentlessly, every day, every morning, take a deep draft. Start to hear the symphony, the flutes, just playing that theme. And then through the day, when we get to the point, it's half past eight at night and Sarah just won't go to sleep. Instead of being my impatient self, I've had a really long, crappy day. I've had a project delivery to get done. I've been slugging my guts out trying to learn SQL to get us this far. I just, I just need to zone out. To know that I don't have to draw upon myself in those moments. That it just takes a deep breath and say, this is all gift. Because my love, especially for my family, it's easy to love my family. But therefore it's easy for me to love out of my own love, my own family. And unfortunately that well does go dry. And this is kind of where I'd like to get to. Because the beautiful thing is this, and this is really, I should have probably spent 20 minutes talking about this rather than talking about how we fail. Um, but be, be, be encouraged. <laughs> One of the beautiful things is this, and something that I've observed, um, one of the great things about Facebook, I don't know if you guys were on Facebook particularly, but this that memories thing. And so Nick has been great at capturing videos of the girls as they've grown up. And one of the most beautiful things is that even to now, they do this thing where, and you'll have seen it, with all of the little kids that are around in, in our community, is that they come pretty much to anybody these days. They just want to be picked up. They just want contact. I remember there's a video of Emma when she's like one and about this big, like just pushing her head into my beard and just rubbing her face on my cheek just so I'd kiss her. Or when she kind of used to waddle backwards into my lap to sit down. Or Sarah just randomly Wanting, even now, even yesterday, like coming up and just wanting to be picked up. Not because there's an agenda. Not because she's coming to me with a prayer of, My Father, give me this day my daily bread. No words. But just to sit in my presence. In my grumpy, finite presence. And that's r remarkably disarming at, at 8.30 you know, when I'm trying to tell her to go to bed and she just wants a cuddle. Um, and that kind of punctures my self-inflated importance. Um, we need to keep on, because we are doing this, okay, community. Hear me right. I'm not berating us. I'm not telling us we're doing stuff wrong. I am hyper-aware that we are pushing boundaries, that we are a remarkable 
community pressing in to really difficult things because the thing is is as we press in to mental health we're going to be confronted with our own mental health as we start to work increasingly with people who have faced trauma we are going to take on trauma as we reach out to the most broken lost and obnoxious people i don't steve has this vision for reaching the, the ends of society the sa the sinners the tax collectors the prostitutes in, in kind of New Testament language, we can deal with. We're on board with that stuff. The, the politicians, the, the, the Zacchaeuses, the Pontius Pilots of this world, man, it's going to take some heart to deal with those people. So we constantly need to be refreshing ourselves in these beautiful, innocent ways, just like a child climbing into their father's lap with no agenda. I want to encourage us as a community have times that aren't prayer times, that aren't worship times, that aren't Bible reading times. I constantly fight this battle in my quiet times in the morning where I'm coming to God saying, help me with my sermon. But I need to start to learn to put that away. God, I'm not coming to you to help me with my homework. I'm coming to you because I just want to be with you. I want to know you more. And the beautiful thing is this, is in Romans 8, you know, we talk about what, what's a hallmark of a Christian? What's the thing that shows who a Christian is? You know, and we could come up with lots of answers about this. So oh, it's by your love for one another that people will know you are followers of me. Um, it's if you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. It's if you talk in tongues, right? All these great things. But one of the most beautiful that I've found is, is that Christians are the ones that can call out to God, Abba Father. The Spirit within us cries out, just Abba Father. We don't even know what we're saying. That's what it says in Romans 8. Even when you don't know what to say, the Spirit will plead with, within you. Like a child, just that practice of presence. In 1 John 3, 1. I love this verse. This is one of my favourite verses. There was a song years and years ago. Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has lavished upon us? Can you hear the symphony starting to erupt of the final end? That we should be called children of God. So my encouragement to you is this, is that as we go about enacting the great hero themes of the Bible, as we start to hear the force theme or the rebels theme or Luke's hero theme, as we start to invite people to the wedding banquet of the Lamb, there are going to be people that we can't imagine sitting next to at that, at that party at the end of time. But as we do that, let's remind ourselves, let's practice this presence whereby we don't come with our prayers, oh God, help me love this person. Help me not punch this person in the face sometimes. It's not even the positive, it's just help me to stop from the negative. But, Father, and that is a sentence in itself. Just to know, just to be loved upon. I'm looking at Noah right now, just absolutely content. He's not asking Beth for anything other than to be held. Let us remind ourselves that we are children of God. And how great, what manner of love is this that has been lavished upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. So this is an heroic action 
just to simply allow ourselves not to be the mature saints who are doing something great for God. And there are times for that, and we do that in spades. We absolutely do. But there are times when we can say, actually, I'm not. I'm not that. I am fractured, I am empty, I am broken, and I am weary because I've been doing that stuff. And I just need to be a child in the arms of my Heavenly Father because what gets me going again? I love only because He has loved me first. So church, hopefully I've tried to communicate this right. Well done and well done, good and faithful servants. You are my children with whom I am well pleased. Before you do anything else, you are my children with whom I am well pleased. There is not anything that you have to do but just receive this grace because you are going to need it for whatever the next steps are in your individual lives and in your community life because your hearts are breaking with the things that break the Lord's heart. You have visions and dreams of reaching the last, the lost, the least and the little. And that's going to take a whole lot more than you can sustain. You are loved by God and that is what is going to enable you to participate in feeding the multitudes. So in Jesus' name, Amen.